If you got your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're going to be in verses 25 through 40. Uh, again, as most everyone knows, we are going through the entire book of 1 Corinthians, so we started in January, uh, and we will finish up today in chapter 7. Um, so we are just, we just take it as it comes. So the title of our lesson today is The Blessings of Being Single. The Blessings of Being Single. Now, today's lesson really is for single people. It's not so much for married people. Um, so if you're here today, you may be single. Uh, you may be a young person that's yet to be married. You may be someone who is widowed, or you may be someone who is divorced. Uh, but you are, you are single for whatever reason. This lesson today is for you. But if you're married here, don't, don't zone out on me. Um, you know, there will be some things in here I'm sure you can uh, pick up on in case you're ever single or you may want to pass on to your kids or maybe some friends uh, that you know are single. So again, the title of our lesson is The Blessing of Being Single. Now, have you ever noticed that in our churches we talk an awful lot about being married and we talk very little about being single? You ever notice that? I mean, we have, we have retreats, we have special nights for married people, we... We, we preach on marriage, we teach on marriage, we do very little uh, for single people. Now, the question is, why do, we, why do we do this? Well, if you go back to Genesis 2, very early on, there's this statement in the Bible uh, where, where God makes this statement. He said, it is not good that man should be alone. And he goes on to establish the, uh, uh, the relationship of marriage, right? He says, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And so what we've got in the very beginning is God saying, I, I, I've got man, I've got woman, they don't need to be alone, and so I'm going to establish this thing called marriage. And so God designs a marriage between a man and a woman to really be the foundation of this thing we call a family. And of course, a family is, should be the foundation of our society. And it still is the majority state in our uh, in our world today, and it's a, it's a great thing, and it is a, it's a wonderful thing. And because of that, I think we make the assumption that God's best for us is to be married, that if I want God's best for my life, I need to be married. Well, the question is, is that always true? Is that true for everybody, that God's best for you is to be married? Well, the answer to that question, as we'll see in today's passage, is no, that that's not always true, that for some people... God's best is for them to be single. Now, again, marriage is a, a wonderful design of God, but it's not the only design of God. Being single doesn't leave you out of God's plans and purposes. In fact, what you'll see today in today's passage is that being single has, has, a, has very unique blessings and benefits to it that being married does not have. Okay, that if you're single today, again, if you're a young person and you're, you're going to be married one day, but you're, married, you're not married now, or maybe, again, as I mentioned, you're divorced or you're widowed, you're at a point in your life where you have, you're at a very unique situation uh, because there are some blessings and benefits to being single that married people uh, do not have. So in today's passage, Paul is actually going to give us five reasons why it's good to be single. And he's going he's to lay them out for us. He's going to say this is a, these are five really good reasons to be single. But now, before I begin, though, I do want to mention something one more time. 
as I said earlier, the lesson here today is for people who are single. But you may be here today and you think, well, I'm single, but I don't want to be single. I want to be married. I wasn't cut out to be single. I wasn't designed to be single. I want to be married. So you may immediately hear this lesson and think, well, that's not for me. That's for somebody else that plans to spend their life being single. Well, that if you think that way, that would be a, a mistake. Because instead, what I want you to do this morning is if you're here and you're single, even if you're only going to be single for a few months or maybe a few years, what I want to tell you is while you're single, make the most of it. Okay? Because being single is a unique opportunity to serve God and to know God free from distractions. Everybody with me? Again, I, you may be planning on be, being remarried or being married one day. That's great. That's fine. I, I, I hope the best for you. But while you're single, make the most of it because you have a very unique opportunity, free from distractions, to not only serve God but to get to know God um, better. So let's jump into our lesson. Paul's going to give us five reasons why it's good to be single. Now, this is kind of odd for me because I'm married and I have to tell you why it's good not to be married, <laughs> right? So normally I'd feel much more comfortable telling you why it's good to be married, but now I've got to kind of flip the coin and say, okay, I'm going to tell you what the Bible says, why it's good not to be uh, married, okay? So it's kind of, kind of a weird lesson for me, but, but we'll get through it. So here's number one, freedom from distress. Look at, your, uh, look at your verses. Let's look first at verses 25 to 27. Paul says this, Now concerning the betrothed, one of your, your translations may say betrothed, other translations says virgins. He says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Then don't look for one. Okay, so he said, in view of this present distress, just stay like you are. That's my, that, he says, this is my best judgment. Now, the term that I want to draw your attention to that Paul says is in view of this present distress. Now, the Greek word there is anakin, and it's a word that speaks of tremendous difficulties. In the New Testament, it's used a lot uh, to refer to persecution, especially violent persecution. Where, where Christians are being tortured and, and killed for their, for their faith. That's the word that, that's being used there. Now, Paul knew this. He, he was intimately equated with Anakin. He was intimately equated with violent persecution. The man was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was stoned, he was jailed, he was robbed. You name it, he had gone through it all. But Paul knew not only what was going on at that time, he was also well aware of what was coming. When this letter was written, they were, they were 15 years away from Nero coming to power. And everybody knows about Nero, right? The, the, the crazy Roman Caesar who, who set Christians on fire to, to light his gardens. They were only 15 years away from that persecution when Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians. And by the way, that was a persecution that would last for 200 years. So Paul knows the, the Christian community and the church at Corinth is about to go through a very bad period of persecution 
in the life of the church. So when he says, in view of this present distress, that's what he's talking about. In view of the fact that we're not only being persecuted now, but we're going to be persecuted even more as the years go by, that's what he means by using that word, Anakin. So Paul says, in view of the persecution that's coming, my advice to you is if you're a single, count it as a blessing. If you're single, count it as a blessing. Now, why would he say that? Well, it's pretty obvious, right? Because when you're single, you may fear for your life, but at least you don't have to fear for the life of your spouse or your children, right? I mean, when you've got to go through something like that, it's bad enough having to deal with the, uh, with the stress and the pressure and the fear for yourself, but if you have to deal with that for your family, that makes it even worse, doesn't it? So Paul says, in view of what's coming, in view of what we're already going through, my advice to you is don't get married because you're going to deal with it better than not having to worry about your family. There's a quote I ran across. It said this, A man who is a hero by himself becomes a coward when he thinks of his widowed wife and his orphaned children. See, the thing is, when you go through persecution, it becomes that much worse when you have a family. Right? Your suffering is intensified because of your, the suffering of your family. Do, do, would we all agree with that? I mean, sometimes we'd say the same thing. I'd much rather go through something than for our children to go through it, or our wife. or our, we, we would take it on ourselves instead of having them. That's what Paul's saying. So if you're single, count it a blessing because you don't have to deal uh, with that. So Paul's saying that in times of persecution, there's a benefit to remaining unmarried and not having the responsibility uh, of family. Um, again, you may live in fear of your life, but at least you don't have to uh, live in fear for the lives of your, those closest to you. Now, now, we may say immediately, when we talk about persecution, you may say, well, Derek, you know, that was true then, but it's not true now, right? How does this apply to us today? Well, let me tell you, if you live in China today, it applies. If you live in Iran today, it applies. If you live in Syria today, it applies. And, and I, I don't know 25 years or 50 years from now in America whether it'll apply or not. But I can tell you that applies today around this world just as much as it did 2,000 years ago. So there are people today reading that. They're saying, man, I, you know, maybe I need to take this advice. So again, it, it, it applies. It may not apply here right now in Walker County in, in the United States of America, but it definitely applies in other places around the world. Now... Let's look at the second reason Paul says. I'm going to give you five good reasons to be single. Number two, freedom from worldly troubles. Now, one thing I love about Paul, and I've said this last week, for one thing, Paul is not politically correct. He really could care less what you think. He's going to tell you the truth, and you either accept it, you can be offended by it, it doesn't bother him in the least. The one thing, the other thing about Paul, Paul is extremely realistic. He just tells it like it is. Again, doesn't really care whether you think, well, Paul, you shouldn't have said that. Paul just says it like it is. Well, this is one of the things he's going to do today. He's going to be very realistic. Paul says being single frees you from worldly troubles. Look at verse 28. He says this, But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed or a virgin woman marries, she has not sinned. Now watch what he says. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Okay? Those who marry will have worldly troubles. And he says, I would spare you that. Now let's make sure we're clear on something. 
Paul is not against marriage. Okay, is everybody clear on that? Um, he doesn't see marriage as bad. He doesn't see marriage as an evil thing. He doesn't see it as, as, as anything like that. It, it, marriage is not a sin. Okay, it is a good thing, and he sees it that way. It is still God's design. It is still the majority state in our world today. It is still a wonderful and glorious thing. Paul says, but if you marry, you will have trouble. In other words, if you marry, you'll have trouble that single people will not have. Okay? And anybody here that's married can say amen. And you know what, you know what he's talking about. If you're married, you're going to go through things that single people will never have to, to go through. Now, this is interesting. The word used here in the Greek, and I can't say it because it, THL is not in my vocabulary, but that word is T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S, thalipsis. And it means literally to be squeezed. It's, it's the Greek in the Greek, it's the same word when they squeeze the, the juice out of grapes. You know how they stomp on the grapes? and That's what it means. You will have thalipsis. You'll have trouble. You'll be pressured. You'll be squeezed. That's what he means. Now, that's really interesting. See, what he's talking about is the kind of trouble you get when you take two sinners and you put them in the same household together, you're going to have trouble, right? See, there's something about marriage that pressures you and squeezes you in a way that nothing else can. No other relationship can do that. You, can, you might say, well, you don't know my brother, or you don't know my sister. I don't care. There's something about marriage, two people in an intimate relationship, living in a house together, that will, Paul says you will have trouble. Now, this is interesting. Why is Paul so certain that you'll have trouble? You know, he doesn't say you might have trouble. You may have trouble. He says, if you get married, you will have trouble. Now, how can he be so sure? I mean, isn't there a man and a woman out there somewhere that are just so, they're just soulmates and they're just so made for one another that they're just going to blend together and everything's going to be? No, no, there's not. Paul says, you will have trouble. Now, this is, I, years ago when I taught, uh, I went through the book of um, Ephesians and I taught on marriage I'm going to bring something back up here because there's a really interesting lesson in this. To understand what Paul means and to understand why he's so certain that you will have trouble, you have to go back to the book of Genesis. Now, before sin entered the world, there was perfection, was there not? We don't know a lot about the Garden of Eden. We don't know a lot about Adam and Eve's relationship and all that. But one thing we do know is that before sin came in, it was absolutely perfect. There was nothing wrong with it, right? Because God had designed it that way. So that's one thing we know. There was absolute perfection. But after the fall, after Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says God placed a curse. Now, not only did he place a curse on the earth, and we all know that, you know, he placed a curse on the ground that, that we'd have to toil and till it to make our living and by the sweat of our brow, but the Bible also says that he placed a curse on the man and the woman. And at the heart of this curse, it affected the relationship between men and, and women. Now, watch what God says to the woman. He says this to Eve. In ver this is Genesis 3.16. And a lot of people misunderstand this verse. So listen up today and you'll learn something. In Genesis 3.16, God is talking to the woman. He says this, I will greatly multiply your sorrow 
in your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Now watch this. He says, your desire, this is the curse that he places on the woman. He says, your desire shall be for your husband, and he's going to rule over you. Okay? Now that phrase right there is very tricky, and it, and it confuses a lot of people. It says, your to the woman, he says, your desire will be for your husband. Now, the under, so we need to understand what he means by that. So to understand why marriage always brings trouble, you have to understand that phrase. What did God mean by your desire shall always be for your husband? Now, some people incorrectly assume that this means some kind of physical desire or emotional desire, but, but it has nothing to do with either one of those. Okay, to understand this, you have to go ahead one chapter and you jump ahead up to, to chapter 4 where you have the story of Cain and Abel. Everybody remembers the story of Cain and Abel. They're the first sons of Adam and Eve, right? And, and, and uh, Cain was a, um, a tiller of the ground, and, and Abel, his brother, was, had, um, had meat, and uh, he was a sheep herder or whatever. And so Cain and Abel bring their sacrifices to God, and Cain brings vegetables and things like that, and Abel brings meat. He brings a meat sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. And the Bible tells us that God rejected Cain's sacrifice and he accepted Abel's, okay? Now, Cain gets all angry about this. He gets all upset. And so God, in, verses, in chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, he comes to Cain and he says this. Now, watch what he says. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, won't you be accepted? And if you don't do well, now watch what God says to him. Sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now, there's the same phrase. See, earlier he said the woman's desire is for her husband. Now he tells us that sin's desire is for you. Everybody see that? It's the exact same phrase. It's the exact same Hebrew word. You see, what God is saying, when he says sin's desire is for you, what, he see, what he's saying is that sin wants to master you. Sin wants to control you. Sin wants to dominate you. It wants to enslave you. But then he said the same thing about the woman. He said the woman's desire shall be for her husband. You see, what, what he's saying there, when he says to the woman, your desire shall be for your husband, refers to the fact that the woman will rebel against her role and it will attempt to dominate and control her husband the same way that sin wants to dominate and control us. So when the, when the Bible says uh, the woman's desire is for her husband, it means she wants to control him. She wants to dominate him. She wants to master him. She wants to, by the way, which was never her role, right? She was created as a helpmate. She will rebel against her role. And by the way, when it says to the husband, he shall rule over you, that's the curse as well. It was never intended that a man would overpower a woman, dominate a woman, subdue a woman. The Bible tells us in Ephesians, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself. We are to give our lives for our wives. We're never meant to dominate them, to subdue them, to, to rule them that way. That's part of the curse as well. That's not, that's not God's design. So what you've got is you've got this perfection, both man and woman fulfilling their roles, Sin comes in, and now both men and women are trying to dominate one another. They're trying to control one another. 
They're trying to subdue, trying to master. Everybody with me? I mean, that's, that's, we, we've got to understand that. You see, God designed marriage to be the very best state or relationship that you could have. But in most marriages, what starts out in this uh, euphoria of love and emotion descends into this, you know, this war punctuated by this series, this, these periods of truce, up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, what's happened is sin has warped and perverted the marriage of relationship that God intended uh, to be where a relationship where both people are trying to dominate one another and control one another to get their own way. That's why Paul says it always brings trouble. Always brings trouble. It's just human nature. Paul understands human nature probably better than any other man ever, that's ever lived because of the Spirit of God helping him. And he understands in marriage you will always have trouble because of that reason. Two people trying to get their own way. Now, in many ways, marriage can be the most fulfilling of relationships, but it always produces trouble because you've got two sinful people stuck in a relationship, in a, in a confined relationship, 24 hours a day with one another. It's going to produce trouble that single people do not have. And by the way, if you're single today and you think, well, if, you, if I get married, it'll lessen my trouble? No. <laughs> Let me just bust your bubble right there. It has the potential to multiply your troubles. Again, you're going to encounter troubles in a marriage that you would never encounter outside if you weren't, if you weren't married. That's what Paul's saying. If you're going to get married, go into it with your eyes open and know you're going to have trouble. And again, like I said earlier, some of you may say, well, you don't know my roommate. You don't know my sister. You don't know my brother. Trust me, it's not even close. There's something about marriages where that level of intimacy that makes marriage relationships different and, and than any other. And the fact is the conflict there is greater uh, because of that. It has the potential, and anybody that can, has never been married can tell you this, has the potential for wonderful highs, but it also has the potential for excruciating lows. And I can say this without really any fear of contradiction. The most miserable people in the world are not single people. The most miserable people in the world are married people. Not all married people, you understand what I'm saying. But if you find me the most miserable person in the world, I can say that guy's probably married or she's probably married and they're in a really bad marriage, right? Because here's the reason, right? Right? Not, again, it doesn't mean that all married people are miserable. I'm not most of the time, right? I mean, but you have to be honest. The potential, this is, what, this is why Paul's being so realistic. What he's saying is the potential for misery in marriage is far greater than it would ever be if you stayed single, okay? Um, now, again, why? Well, think about it. If you're single, there's only one person that can make you miserable, and that's you. You get married, you just double that chance, right? I mean, let's face it, you double the chance. And again, this kind of sounds weird because I'm married, and I love being married, and, and I should be extolling the virtues of marriage, but Paul's just being very realistic. Not everybody enters into this great marriage. There are a lot of bad marriages. And Paul says, I would save you from that. If you stay single, you won't have those. And he's just being very, very realistic here. This week, I don't know if y'all, well, you can't really see that. This week I was in Chicago and I flew in um, Sunday or Monday, I forget now, it's all a blur. But I flew in last week and I did a, uh, I do Uber. If y'all know, everybody know what Uber is? So I did an Uber 
And this lady picked me up, and her name was Ann. And I don't know what it is about me, but whenever I get in cars, people just want to talk and start telling me all their troubles. So Ann, I'm, I'm asking Ann, where are you from, you know, and, and she was from Los Angeles. Well, how'd you get to Chicago? Well, this long story short, Ann lived in Los Angeles, and her and her husband had two kids, and she moved to Chicago because of his job, and then he cheated on her, right? And then they divorced. Well, she wants to move back to L.A., but she can't. The judge won't let her because her husband stays in Chicago. So here she is by herself in Chicago all the way across the country from her family who still lives in L.A. And now her 14-year-old daughter's on depression medication because she's had trouble dealing with all this, and now she's rebelled against her mama, moved out of the house with her daddy. It's just a terrible situation. And can I tell you, she would have avoided all that if she had never got married. That's what Paul's saying. When you marry, you, you have the potential of stepping into things that you would never have to deal with. Daniel's sitting there looking at me like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is awful. I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm just telling you what Paul says. That's just what Paul, is it not? That's what he's saying. You will have troubles. You'll have, there's potential for troubles in marriage that you would never have to deal with if you don't get married. That he's, just, he's just laying it out, being very realistic. Okay? He says he's, marriage is a great thing. It's a good thing. But again, go into it with your eyes wide open. Marriage always brings trouble because you've got two fallen human beings pressed in so tightly uh, together. And then they have children, right? That's a bunch of other little sinners thrown into the mix. And... Now they're all, they're all running around, right? I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a quagmire, right, that you get into. Listen, I can tell you as a father personally, and, and every father here will understand this, not only am I responsible for myself, I will one day answer for how, how, I, how I treated my wife and how I led her spiritually. I'll answer for that. So I've got to watch out for myself. I've got to watch out for her. Now I've got to watch out for my two boys I mean, there's stuff, there gets stuff dumped on you. Are you with me? That Paul says you don't have to deal with that if you never get married. That, that's what he's saying. He just, he's saying it's a great thing, but, but keep in mind you will have trouble. That's all, that's all that he's saying. Now he goes on. The third reason, five reasons it's good to be single is our lesson. Number three, marriage has no relationship to eternity. Marriage has no relationship to eternity. Now, I hate to bust some people's bubbles here today, but it just is what it is. Look at verses 29 through 31. This is what Paul says. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, those who buy as if they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. Listen, our appointed, what Paul is saying is this, our appointed time on this earth is very, very short. Okay? I'm 53. I can remember when I was Daniel's age, when I was 15, like it, yesterday we were coming back from Jacksonville and uh, we, were, we had rented a car and we had that serious radio and we were listening to some songs from the 70s. 
And I'd come up with a song, and it would show the date. And I was 15 when that song came out. I was 14 when that song. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I'm 53. It goes by like that. That's what Paul's saying. Our time here is very short. James 4.14 says this. Your, your life is like a vapor. It just appears. Think about all the people that have come and gone before you. And they thought they had forever. And they're gone. Their lives are gone. And, and I mean, it just goes like like that. James says it's a vapor. It's here for a little while and then it vanishes away. What Paul says is marriage is a part of this very short vapor. It's a part of this very short time that we're here, this very brief. It may suit us wonderfully and it may even suit us richly for this life, but it has no connection to eternity. Therefore, what God is saying to us through Scripture is don't attach yourself to your marriage more than you should. Okay? Let's see what I mean by this. In other words, attach yourself lightly. Well, how lightly? Well, Paul says this. From now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, he doesn't mean that we're to be indifferent to our spouse and pretend like they don't exist. He doesn't mean that we're to become so spiritually minded that we're, we're no earthly good, that we ignore our family. What he means is in Colossians 3, 2, he says it this way, set your affection, set your love on things above, not on things of the earth. Keep everything in perspective. The, the, marriage is not eternal, right? It, it does, it's not something that's going to last for eternity. Keep your marriage in the right perspective because it belongs to a time that's passing away. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage or, or like angels in heaven. You will not be married in heaven. Your, your marriage doesn't carry over. It belongs to a temporary time a time that's passing away. It's great for this time, and it serves us richly in this time, but it's temporary. It's not going into eternity. It's just like weeping. Paul says in that same thing, mourning and weeping will pass away because God's going to wipe away all tears. Earthly joy, which comes and goes here on this earth because of circumstances, that's all going to pass away and be replaced by eternal joy, buying and selling, the commerce of this world. It's all going to pass away. It's all temporary. So treat those matters while you're here with all the dedication and respect they deserve in the present time, but keep in, in your mind they're not eternal. There are other things that are eternal. So what Paul is saying is don't value human relationships, human emotions, human possessions, or human pleasure above the things of, uh, of heaven the things that are eternal. Don't, don't put so much stock in what's going on now that you lose sight of what's important. You see, sometimes I think, I, this has been a pet peeve of mine for a long time, sometimes I think Christians get it all backwards in our culture. Let me take marriage for an example. How many retreats, books, messages, CDs have been made on marriage? How to have a better marriage. I, I, I went on Amazon real quick and just typed in Christian marriage. And when I did, there's books popping up, the five love languages, you know, just read this and you'll have a better marriage. Read this, you'll have, watch this, go to this retreat, you'll have a, a be better marriage. You see, Paul's saying, guys, you got it backwards. Don't focus on the, your marriage, focus on your spiritual life. Focus on the eternal. You see, if, you, if we, I'm, fra I'm afraid we spend too much time working on temporary things, 
and not enough time working on eternal things. And, and I think if we understood that if you'll focus on the eternal, the temporary will take care of yourself. An example I've used before in this class is the tuning fork. If I had two pianos and I tried, wanted to get them in tune with one another, if you try to tune them to each other, you'll go back and forth and, and you'll never get it right. So what you do is you buy a tuning fork or whatever they call those things now and you tune the two pianos to the common tuning fork. Does that make sense? See, it's the same way in a marriage. In a marriage, what we do is we put Jesus first. We tune ourselves to... If you've got a wife that's in tune with Jesus and you've got a husband that gets in tune with Jesus, can I tell you, they'll be in tune with each other. You've got a husband that focuses on his eternal and you've got a wife that focuses on the eternal. You look up, you don't have to focus on your marriage. It just happens. You, you, all of a sudden, you're loving and submitting and... And, and caring and, and humbling yourself because you're in tune with Jesus. That, that's what we need to focus on. Marriage becomes what it ought to be when two people are both seeking the kingdom of God first. Isn't that what Jesus said? Seek the kingdom of God first. I'll take care of all the other stuff. You put that first. If there's a, a young man or a young woman here today, I would tell you this. If you want to... Listen, if... Sometimes it can be scary. I teach a lesson like this and say, if you get married, you're going to have trouble. You've got all this potential for the whole thing to fall apart, right? And there is potential. But I can tell you right now, if you want to make sure you don't get a divorce, you want to make sure that one day you're sitting on a front porch with a woman you married 50 years before with your grandchildren and great-grandchildren running around your feet, do you want that? Then if you're a young man, find a woman that loves Jesus first. Find a woman that loves Jesus more than she loves you. If you're a girl, find a man that loves Jesus more than he loves you. I can tell you, you get that right, you won't have to worry. He'll take care of the rest. The rest will take care of, it, of itself. Okay? And I'll tell you something I told the youth a while back, too, if you're a young person. Stop looking for the right one and start being the right one. Stop looking for the right one and start somewhere out there. If you're a young man, somewhere out there is a, is a young lady that's looking for the right one, you start being that one. You start preparing yourself to be the one. Stop looking and start being. That makes all the difference in the world when it comes to, when it comes to marriage. So Paul's point in all of these things, including marriages, they're going to fade away. They have meaning now in this present life, but that's it. So keep them in perspective and make sure you view everything in the light of eternity. Number four. The preoccupation of the married. Now, this is a long passage here. I'll go ahead and read it. Verses 32 to 38. Paul, again, is talking about married people. He says this, I want you to be free from worry or anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he's not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let him marry, it's not sin. So again... Paul says, you, need, you get married, there's no problem with that. It's not sinful thing. It's not a bad thing, okay? But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. 
So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. So again, Paul is not saying that married people should think of only their spouse and family. That's not true. But Paul says when you get married, you cannot focus only on God anymore. When you're single, you have a unique opportunity to put all your focus on God. But when you get married, your interests are divided. Listen, I've seen this throughout the years. I've seen young people in, oh, be in church. They're in high school. You know, it, it's such a great time of life at that because everything's taken care of for you, isn't it? Your meals are cooked. Your, your clothes are washed. They tell you, be here, be there. Your schedule's pretty much set. And you really have got... You'll find young people at that time just fall in love with Jesus. And they're just committed to Jesus. And then they'll graduate, and then they get married. And when they get married, everything changes. And by the way, that's natural. And Paul says that's just the way it is. Because when you get married, now you, you don't have all that time to focus just on God. Now you've got to focus on your husband or your wife, how to please them. What do they want? Where do they want to go? What do they want to do? It, it just changes everything. And again, Paul's not saying... It's a bad thing. He's just saying that's the natural thing. That's the way it is. Whereas a single person has a unique opportunity to focus on the Lord without any distraction. So I said it earlier. If you're single here today, don't waste that opportunity. You may only be single for a few more months. You may be single for a few years. Don't waste it. You have a unique opportunity to put your focus on God. Take advantage of it. Number Five, the fifth reason Paul says, be, 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 think twice about being married. And this is why. Because marriage is permanent. In the eyes of God, marriage is permanent. Look what he says in verses 39. I told you that Paul's a realist. He just, he just gives you the facts. You don't like it, he doesn't really care. He's just going to give it to you. This is what he says in verse 39 through 40. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I have the Spirit of God. Paul says when you're married, in God's eyes, it's permanent. As long as you two are alive, you should stay married. Okay. Once you're married, that's it until you... We, we stand and we say, until death do us part, don't we? That's supposed to be a vow. That's supposed to be a promise. It's supposed to be permanent. That, that means something. And in God's eyes, it does. Paul says, see, as long as you're single, you've got freedom. But when you're married, you're bound. You're bound permanently un until you die. There's a, there's a great verse in Matthew 19. And, and I just, I mean, the Bible's just, I, I, the more I study the Bible, I just think the Bible's, I said this again, the Bible's the most, there's nothing even close to it. There's nothing even close to it in interest. The other day I'm sitting in the airport and I'm watching those people yak on CNN and they yak and yak and yak and yak and yak. And it's, it's drivel. It's meaningless. It means nothing. It has no significance at all. And you open the Bible and there's all this truth. It just, there's nothing like it. In, in Matthew 19, there's, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's got them sitting there. And he's teaching them about marriage. And he says this. He says, Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. In other words, it's for, it's for life. Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Okay? So he says, when you get married, it's permanent. 
You, you cannot divorce your wife. And this is what his disciples said. If that's true, it's better not to get married. That was their view. He, what he was saying, this is God's view of marriage. It's permanent. And his disciples looked at that and said, it's better not to get married. You know what they're saying? They're saying it's better not to get married than to be stuck, in, in, stuck for life with the wrong person. That's what they're saying. If that's God's view, then it's better for us not to get married because I'll be stuck for life. I could potentially be stuck till life for this, with this, in this bad marriage. That, that was their view of it. They didn't see, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in this marriage and make it something great. They just said, maybe I don't even need to get married at all. Okay? So Paul is just saying that. Keep in mind, if you do marry, don't enter into marriage lightly because in God's eyes, it is a permanent thing. And Paul says, if you can handle it, stay single because in the end, in his judgment, you'll be happier for it. Now, let me close by saying that I'm glad that I'm married. And I want to be real clear about that, lest I don't get any supper this week. Um, I was never designed to be single. I always wanted to be married, and, and, and I've been married for 33 years. Um, it, and my marriage has been more than I ever dreamed it could be. Um, but I'll tell you, and, and Kathy will tell you the same, it's not without its heartaches, and it's not without its troubles. And every married person here will tell you the exact same thing. I've had to go through heartaches. I've had to go through troubles that I never would have had to go through um, if I hadn't been married. Now, in my, in my estimation, it's been worth it. Okay? Anything good like that, it, it, it's worth it. But I want to repeat this one more time, as I said earlier. If you're single here today, you may be a young person that's going to be married one day. You may be a, a widower or, or a widowed person. You may be divorced. Okay? Don't, don't look ahead and think, well, I want to be married one day, and I don't, this doesn't apply to me. If you're single for the next week, if you're single for the next month, if you're single for the next 10 years, don't waste that opportunity. Don't waste the opportunity to focus on Christ, to focus on Him and what He wants for you, to focus on serving Him and knowing Him, because you have an opportunity, Paul says, that married people don't have. You have an opportunity to know and serve him um, that married people don't have because you're completely free from distractions. So let me encourage you today, if you're there at that point in your life, take advantage of it. Again, does, again, I'm not saying you won't be married one day, but if you're single today, take advantage of it. Don't waste um, the opportunity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We thank you for the Apostle Paul who 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, penned a letter that we're still studying today. So much wisdom, so much truth in it that it still applies 2,000 years later. That, that continually blows my mind. Don't let us waste it. Don't let us waste this truth that's been given to us. If there's anyone here today, Lord, that's single, um, even if they don't want to be single, I pray, God, that, it, that you'll just open their heart to this word, that they'll know that during this time of their life that... Um, Father, they've got a unique opportunity to serve you and to know you. And I just pray through the Holy Spirit that they'll take advantage of this. We pray for our service today, Lord. Um, uh, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as I do, then I pray that this day the light will shine into their heart.